Welcome back to Part of the Story, Read Your Public Library's official podcast. Today is our second episode of Real Stories. I'm Claire Brown. And I'm Jason Millett. And today we are talking Christmas movies. Because we're excited about it. Oh yes, very much. <laughs> so Jason and I, and I have been going back. We have a little Google Doc. We've been making cuts. We've been putting ones in. It's been quite the process. It has. Um, and I have to say, I've always kind of heard you and sage talk about how hard it is to make the top five yeah and i always was like oh come on <laughs> how hard could it possibly be but then going to do it actually yourself you sit there and you're like oh well there's this one. Oh, and then i remember this one. Yep. Oh, that one. Oh, that one <laughs> yeah so i know so I jason have... and i are going to keep our tradition of probably breaking all of the rules of a top five with our honorable mentions and we're going to have a little bit of a discussion at the end about things that aren't movies but our holiday festive episodes of things one in particular that i can't wait to talk about jason made a proper list for this i'm sort of flying by the seat of my pants on that one but jason made a proper list and there's one that i'm really excited about but before we get to that we're going to get into our top five jason what was your number five uh my number five and again this is solely because (laughs) sage is not here I felt that we needed some, like, Japanese anime representation in the podcast. She'll appreciate. Yes. <laughs> um, so this movie is called Three Godfathers, and it's a Japanese movie from the early 2000s. And it's a really interesting movie. It takes place on Christmas Eve. It's about three homeless people who happen to find an abandoned baby as they're searching for food. Okay. And then they go through Tokyo trying to find the baby's parents. And... It's a really kind of grim, but also uplifting show. And it's all about how these three people are kind of a family unit themselves. And they get a sort of redemption from trying to find the baby's parents. Is it like a three wise men inspired? Is yes, that why very much three? so. Okay. Yeah. And so it happens to be like it starts off, they're watching a nativity play. And then they start rummaging through the garbage. And then that's exactly it. It's okay. very similar to the three wise men, you know, finding a baby. Yeah. Going to find a baby. <laughs> right. And even throughout the movie, because they find a picture that's with the baby. And there's these two, the couple is standing in front of a house. And in the background, there's, you know, the Tokyo Towers that are standing behind there. So it's very much, oh, there we're following this image, this uh, picture oh, okay. of these towers yeah. to try and find the parents. But it's really interesting in that it also examines grief in a lot of ways because each of the three individuals, uh, there's Jin, he's this older gentleman and he used to run a bicycle shop and he says his daughter and you know wife passed away and mm-hmm. that you know this sort of thing. And uh, it turns out he got in debt from his gambling and then mm. he, that's he kind of like so life away. sort of took him a wrong way yeah yeah uh then the one hannah she's a trans woman again she left because of you know her lover had died and then the younger one is yeah a 14 year old who had trouble with her parents oh. and then you know ran out on the street and so each of them throughout the course of the story you find out more about them and they come to accept how their life was and what it is now and it becomes this nice revelation of anything can be a family and at the end they do find the baby's parents mm-hmm. and they're in the hospital 
and the parents come to them and ask them to be the oh, child's wow. godfathers, which is where you get the Tokyo Godfathers yeah. from. And throughout the course, they, you know, they, Hannah meets her mom. They go back to her apartment, and she asks why she left, and they have their reconciliation. Uh, you know, Jin meets his daughter, who, you know, we thought was passed on. Yeah. And she's working at the nurse at the hospital. Oh. So there's this nice also little idea of these happy coincidences, this mm-hmm. serendipity. <laughs> at Christmas you know, time, especially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that flows through the movie. Yeah. And kind of brings out that magic of Christmas as well. Yeah. And so that's why I put it on. Sage will super appreciate to have the representation. Where did you like come across that though the first time? Do you recall? Oh, I think I just, it's only been the last couple of years that I remember watching it because it was, it's currently on Netflix. Mm-hmm. They released a special edition DVD of it a couple of years ago. Okay. And I think that's where I, I kind of heard about it here and there. And then it was one of those things that's like, oh, it's on Netflix. I think I'll watch <laughs> it now. You know, so. Um, I love that. Um, my first in my top five list is The Shop Around the Corner which is a Jimmy Stewart movie from the 1940s. And because Jimmy Stewart is obviously from Budapest, that's where it takes place. Um, so he works in like a shop and it's sort of a gift shop, a men's gift shop more yeah. than anything else. And he sells like wallets. He sells, Suitcases. you know, yeah, you know, for like the man about town type of thing. Cigarette and, boxes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a young lady sees their like help wanted sign and it's around Christmas and she's, you know, looking to, you know, get a job and whatever. And he is immediately like, no, I'm not into this. She's not a good match for the shop. Um, she, he doesn't take her seriously, that sort of thing. And um, it's kind of a, like also a grim, there are some like grim things that happen mm-hmm. in the movie. More people will know the story from You've Got Mail, yes. which is a, it's, it's basically the shop around the corner. The, sh- the store in You've Got yep. Mail is the shop around the corner. Um, so they start writing letters anonymously to one another. And so we know that they're writing each other letters and they're falling in love with these letters. But in real life, they're, it's not matching. It's not, it's not being a good time for them. And I remember watching this for the first time probably in the early 2000s sort of when I was like super into classics for the first time I was watching like Meet Me in St. Louis and like you know Holiday Inn White Christmas all of these ones and um and I found uh The Shop Around the Corner I own it on DVD so it's uh in the 1940s black and white Jimmy Stewart's not my favorite of like the old Hollywood leading men but he's really young in this and I just I really like the story the costumes in Shop Around the Corner cannot be beat. Um, and I, I really love it. And it was not on my list, as Jason said at the beginning before we started this podcast. He's like, oh, I see that we've made a little um, change around. So, yeah, it, it slips in to the top five. But it's it's a really good movie, and I would recommend it for, like, lots of different watchers. But there are – it's also dark. Yes. There are some, like – really dark things because people yeah. deal with some really dark things around Christmas time mm-hmm. too. Um, with well, one Jimmy Stewart gets fired. Yep. And so he loses his job right before he's going to meet this person this. that he's been exchanging the letters with. And I just, it's so romantic. And I, to this day, I love books, stories, movies where it's the letters first or it's the emails and you've got mail, for example. 
And I just, I love that. And to know that this is one of the first, like, Hollywood instances of that that mm. became sort of, like, an ongoing trope. Love it. Now, what I find about this movie, I always wonder if, if I had seen it before <laughs> you got mail, and it was just, would like, you the feel shop some, around the corner. Yeah. And would I kind of realize that they were exchanging the letters and they were each the other person? Or it was just kind of like this, why are they randomly, you know, this person yeah. sending letters to each other and there's going to be this big reveal? Yeah. But because, like, You've Got Mail is kind of spoiled at all, you kind of know beforehand. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And so, um, but yes, you're right, because there's some dark themes in there and that Mr. Matichak has an yeah. incident that we don't see on screen. No. Yeah. Um, for the time, whereas today you'd probably see that on, well, then, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's. I find it interesting as Margaret Sullivan. Oh, you are right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Miss yeah. Novak. Yeah. Oh, yes, Miss Novak. <laughs> she has a. I've, now I forgot totally what I was saying, but okay. <laughs> so, again, this is one of those films where the leading lady, leading woman. Yeah. She has this nice back and forth with Jimmy Stewart. I yes. Think. The quips, the dialogue, yeah. the yeah. chemistry yeah. is there. And Jimmy even goes so far as to say, well, that was quite the quip <laughs> you threw at me there, yeah. you know. And so I find that, yeah, there's a nice snap to the dialogue yeah. in this one. And you see her has this independent woman. And she kind of grows that way, I think, throughout the film a little more. Yeah. You know, and even when she's sick in bed, she's oh, well, this man is nothing like you. And, yeah. But then on the flip side of that, when he finds out that she is the woman that he has been corresponding yeah. with, and he kind of goes in surreptitiously to try and... <laughs> Suss it out. Yes, yeah. yeah, so the last six months we've been like fighting back and forth. Well, yeah. if you had met me six months ago and I had known how you truly feel, then maybe this yeah. would go this way. And that part of the story actually really works really well, I yeah. think, too. I think her character works really well, and I think it's sort of at the same time that a lot of those, like, well, 40s, like, leading ladies were really, like, an equal to their male counterpart on screen. Mm -hmm. Because I think she has nearly the same amount of screen time as mm -hmm. him. And, like, when you think about other movies around the same time, like, it happened one night, and, you know, anything sort of in the early 40s, up until, like, the mid to late 50s, where it's like a romantic whatever they're doing caper mm -hmm. just like romantic comedy whatever it is um they really seemed to care about casting like good chemistry between the leads because they're not overly well written and they're not like well quote-unquote acted by like today's standards for example like they would get maligned in mm -hmm. some ways like jimmy stewart is is a scenery eater a little bit but because of the chemistry and because of those like little dialogue interchanges between these leads you're like i'm in i'll watch it i'm in <laughs> it's so good i don't think our library has a copy um we can probably get it through interlibrary loan um and i don't think it streams anywhere unless you have like maybe criterion um but it's definitely one that if you if you have the chance to watch i think they usually play it on tcm yeah. at christmas time so if you have cable um hopefully it'll be on your list now that that we've chatted about it a bit. What's number four for you? Oh, so number four is Serendipity. Speaking of serendipity. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> How fortunate that, that came up. Uh, so this is a movie from 2001 starring John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale. John Cusack. I know. My right? Yeah. I love him. I absolutely love him. He's yeah, just one he's... of those actors 
that I will watch anything he's in. And he's in so many different genres. Yes. And you're always like, I'm happy to see you here. Yes. You're not out of place. Yeah. yeah. And I just, like, he's kind of, again, from that Hollywood family, you know, he's yep. just, he's, you see him everywhere, you kind of see him, and you know, and it's just, I appreciate it, anything he's in, whether it's like a horror type yep. of thing that he's done, or these romance comedies, or quirky things like High Fidelity, or... Gross Point or, Blank, one yeah. of the best <laughs> in you know, his catalog. So he is an actor that I do think appreciates the craft and when i watch him i can enjoy yeah. the movie he's in no matter what it is um i saw this with my spouse we'd just been married for a few years at this point and i remember but this is a romantic comedy that i like because it takes this trope of yeah. love at first sight yeah or like the magical coincidence and throws it in the movie and says yes there's going to be this magical happenstance where you bump into the <laughs> yeah. love of your life and then we're going to spend the next two hours figuring out how it happens. How we're getting there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just, I like that idea, I think. And it happens on Christmas, and what happens is they're shopping at Bloomingdale's for a pair of cashmere gloves. Yeah, as they, you do. Yes, right? <laughs> Five days before Christmas, and they go and run, and they grab the same pair, the last pair yeah. in the store. Right? Which is very, like, 40s romantic comedy, yeah. too. Yeah. And then they, you know... A little back and forth with a nice little banter and all. I'm buying it for my girlfriend. I'm buying it for this. And then they go and to a coffee shop afterwards because he lets them the gloves go and yeah. I'll, oh, I'll let you have them if you buy me a coffee, yeah. right? And it actually seems really natural. I can imagine this happening. Yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like you strike up a conversation and then you can just like segue it into like a little mini date. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she turns out to be this. Uh, therapist psychologist who believes in fate and that you see these little coincidences and it's how you respond to them yeah. in life that you know determines whether you're happy or not and whether you follow them not that your fate is like predetermined necessarily yeah but that yes there's little hints and there's little suggestions here that you can follow if you want right yeah. and so i love the setup of this though too in yeah. that they put he puts his name and phone number on a five dollar bill she writes her name and phone number in a book, Love in the Time of Cholera. Yeah. And the idea is that if their paths ever cross again, if they come across the book or they come across this $5 bill, they will connect it's again meant with to each be. other. Yeah. Yes. Right? And so, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> they happen to meet at the end of the film. Yeah. It's a romantic comedy set yes. at Christmas. I think you can guess the ending. Yes. <laughs> Um, but there's something nice and gentle about this movie, yeah. I think. And it's nice comfort watch. And I just, again, it's the idea that when I first saw it, I really enjoyed it. And again, it wasn't a big hit when it came out. And no. it didn't get, like, you know, that great reviews type of thing anyway. But again, it was like, oh, it's John Cusack. It's Kate Beckinsale. I like both of those. Yeah. And, like, there's a couple of reviews out there that were... But yes, there's the romance part of it. And it's like, okay, well, it's, it's a nice date movie. Let's go and see it. Yeah. And it's one of those things that surprised me, just like your perfect Christmas present, right? Yeah. You unwrap the bone, it's like, oh, that was lovely, right? Yeah. And so it's a film that I enjoy and I appreciate. And, like, I have the image of the poster in my mind all the time. With just, it's, very, it's very early O's. Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the soundtrack, too, like, yeah. with the 90s music. I, yes, it's just nice little perfect kind of Christmas present film. Yeah. Everything sort of comes together on that one. And I didn't really think about it. Like, obviously, I've seen it because mm -hmm. John Cusack. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really think about it when we were making this list. And when I saw it on yours, I was like, yes, yeah. good. Yeah. I'm happy for that representation. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, my next one might be a little controversial. 
But I'm like my honorable mention is going to be even more controversial. So buckle up. Um, so my next one is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which some of you might be thinking is not a Christmas movie. But you know what? It takes place at Christmas. Yes, definitely a Christmas. So movie. it's a Christmas movie. Um, so it has Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer as um, Val Kilmer plays a detective called Perry, and he works in Los Angeles. And Robert Downey Jr. is sort of running from some crimes on the <laughs> East Coast and sort of falls into a couple of different things on the West Coast. And it's very like dime store, like uh, whodunit, mm-hmm. like novel. It's written and directed by Shane Black, who has done a lot of different ones that I have enjoyed. Uh, one of his biggest movies is definitely Iron Man 3. Yep. So reteaming also with, with Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just, it's one of, to me, it's the movie that I can put in and you're like, oh, I'm, I'll just watch it in the background. Okay. Like I've seen it so many times. I've mm-hmm. watched it in the background. And then you get to one scene, you're like, well, this scene, I'll just watch this scene. And then, oh, well, I know that part's coming up or like that. And the chemistry between Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. is so funny because Val Kilmer is playing it so straight mm-hmm. and Robert Downey Jr. this is like just on his like upswing of his comeback and I think it's right around Iron Man like maybe right before maybe right after like it's very around that first time yeah. yep and they're just so funny together and Michelle Moynihan is in it as like the femme fatale um and she's great she has like some zany bits but she's just like really good in it um and I just I love that movie. I can't I can't stress them enough my love for it. It makes like my all time like top lists in terms of like rewatchability, favorites. Um, I just I love it. So that may be breaking the rules a little bit because mm-hmm. like Christmas is not a huge plot point in the movie, but it does take place at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean there's murder, there's investigation, there's like just lots of stuff. Lots of stuff is afoot, and I love that movie. It's a really odd quirky movie it is like there's no reason why it should work because the way the dialogue is written the way the thing is shot (laughs) the way robert downey narrates it yeah it kind of breaks every single rule for a normal film yeah that you would expect and yes it's hard to describe like the I've seen it about three or four times and I cannot tell you I still don't think I understand what goes on you can't you can't be like, it's about this. Because yeah. it's about like 40 things, depending yeah. on the the storyline that you're following. And yeah, Robert Downey Jr.'s narration to me is hilarious. Mm-hmm. He basically, near the end, is just like full on talking to the audience. And um, it's just, it's so fantastic. And in like, in the early, in the mid O's, I guess this would be, um, like Robert Downey Jr., not a bankable star at that point. Uh, Michelle Monaghan, fairly new in her career. Val Kilmer was huge in the 90s, but he is the type of actor that shows like a lot of like smaller bit parts mm-hmm. or smaller movies, weird movies, um, that sort of thing. So he wasn't like bankable, like, yeah, let's do a Val Kilmer vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then you add these people into it, and like, I can't see anyone else as Perry. Nope. Like, Val Kilmer <laughs> is perfect. Like, no one else can narrate that movie. Like, it's Robert Downey Jr. It just, it, it works so perfectly. But yeah, I can't say it's about this because it won't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's just, it's one of my all-time favorites. You described it as a film noir, and I kind of look at it as, it's a screwball comedy mixed with a film noir. Yeah, that's why you right? can't tell what it's about. Yes, like, because, <laughs> yes, it has, and even one of the 
main throws is like she's reading this uh, like dime store novel yes yeah. <laughs> like they actually say oh this is a dime store novel and we have like these two mysteries that happen all the time and yeah. they intersect at the end yeah and so yes it's like a, it's a screwball comedy and it's a film noir with the femme fatale and the mystery you can't really and it also has coming. that like meta element of like this like in book mm-hmm. um like telling you about how the mystery is gonna go yeah. and you know that there are two mysteries in your movie and you're like oh yeah <laughs> Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> it's just it's so clever. And he's done um, a few others since. And he's just, he's really on my radar because mm-hmm. I really like the snappiness yes. of the dialogue and, like, the way that he films things. is It's just good. Mm-hmm. What's your number three? Oh, Gremlins. <laughs> Grem- Very Christmassy. Yes, it's, again, <laughs> it's not your de facto, per se, Christmas movie. Yeah. But it takes place at Christmas. <laughs> I associate it with Christmas because the gremlins have little Santa hats on in a scene and they're singing carols. Yeah. You know, the finale takes place in a toy store with all the Christmas things. <laughs> you know, so Christmas is actually a big part of the setting of the movie yeah. as well. Um, if not for Christmas, no gift of gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's the thing too. It's That's how it starts off. You know, the father is giving Billy this present that he got in a Chinatown from not the store owner because the store owner knew that this you know guy wasn't responsible and he gets it from his surreptitious son who you know wants to sell the and get the money out and i actually forgot about that part until i reread it about it but you know there is that idea of it's a christmas present and it's exciting but i remember this movie because we went to see it as a family in the theaters and a lot of the marketing, you didn't see the gremlins, right? There's yeah. one of these ideas where it's like, on the poster, it's an open box and you can't see anything. You just see oh yeah, it's just the shadow, right? Yeah. yeah. And in the you know commercials, they kind of hide them. You, you might see the back of them or their ears poking out. Um, but it was one of those things that, again, it was just so exciting to be able to see this, what really is a horror almost, <laughs> yeah. but it's really about a comedy but it has the Steven Spielberg name on it, so your <laughs> mom and dad take you anyway. Yeah. And it turns out that it's kind of funny and, again, quirky, and this whole idea of it being, I had a gizmo for Christmas. You know, <laughs> I had a little mogwai of my own. And so it is a Christmas movie to me in that <laughs> sense, because <laughs> I have so many other associations of it for Christmas. But it's so well done, yeah. too. In that they have, there's no reason to believe that these creatures would exist, you know, but they make them with their own little personalities. And so you have Gizmo as a little mogwai, and he's so cute and cuddly, you just want to hug him. And then the evil gremlin stripe comes up, and he has his little hair, and he's kind of (laughs) precocious, and he's doing the things like, you know, making sure that the clock is, you know, not working so that they get fed after midnight. And that little... (laughs) But, oh, like, there's so many scenes in it, too, that I just remember laughing about. Has the whole crowd in the theater. Yeah. You know, and it is a dark movie, too. Yeah. Right? Our lists are skewing a little dark. Yes. (laughs) And I I don't know what else to say about it other than I have such nice memories of it. And so, again, I can put it in and watch it, and I know the story, so I don't have to kind of, like, follow along with it. Yeah. But then I'll stop and be like, oh, this is the kitchen scene. I think I'll watch the kitchen scene. Um, But yeah, it's that movie where it's 
if you say Christmas to me, I instantly think Gremlins. Yeah. You know? So. I think my Christmas card slash my horror movie card needs to be revoked because I've never seen Gremlins. I remember, like, back in the day, walking through, like, Blockbuster or whatever, and you had, like, the little VHS, and then you got the one behind it. So, like, the one behind it had no picture, but then you'd see the picture of the gremlin. And, like, so many times it was like, let's get this one. Look, look at the little guy. He's so cute. Because it's just, like, him at the bottom of, like, the VHS tape. And it's like, parents were like, no. No. These are the same parents who, like, probably three years later let me watch it on Elm Street. So. <laughs> but, like, it's funny how those particular, like, memories are, like, that's what it's Christmas. So it's, like, super Christmas. It's like, I feel like you were never not going to include Gremlins mm-hmm. on your list. Like, where in the five maybe was up for debate. Yeah. But it feels like because it was so important at the time mm-hmm. that it just, like, stuck with you your whole life. Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot with, like, Christmas movies in particular. Mm-hmm. I think even more than, like, horror or Halloween movies. Because, like, those ones maybe you're watching alone. Maybe you're watching with friends or whatever. But christmas ones you often start watching them with your family as a young person and then every year oh let's watch that one again i liked it from last year and then it's like 10 years later you've been watching it for 10 years <laughs> like or 20 years later or 30 years later right like it's definitely you get a memory from it yeah right and you get a feeling that's associated with that memory and so then when you see it you get that feeling again right and so because you're associating it usually with christmas as usually for most people i think a happy time a yep. generally happy time then you also have that happiness associated with your memory of that and that yeah. feeling. That's where it comes from. So definitely, I think that. But to your point, to this day, if I, you know, I'm going to play a prank on somebody, I hear the music from Gremlins, <laughs> like, you know, and it's like it's in my brain as a thing that is in there constantly. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. I kind of love that though. Mm. Um, so my number three is complete departure, not dark at all. The holiday. So, The Holiday stars Kate Winslet, Jack Black, Jude Law, and Cameron Diaz. And Cameron Diaz, at the beginning, she's like a hotshot movie trailer editor, as you do. She owns Um, the company. She She does. Her house is gorgeous. It's in L.A. And she finds out that her her live-in boyfriend, Edward Burns, has been, in her words, stooping his uh, receptionist. Um, So she needs to get out of the city. At the same time, across the pond, as they say, in the UK, um, Kate Winslet's character realizes that her long-term love slash maybe um, not, they've been on the offs for a little while, is getting engaged to uh, the, she's a publisher at their paper as well, I think. Yeah, she's so they a writer. All, yeah. yeah. So she's like, I need to leave here. I need a break from this. And they do like a house exchange thing. So this is very like primitive looking interneting <laughs> uh, where they're like searching for like each other's houses um, there. So they exchange a few notes and then they basically are like, we're off to the races. We're switching houses. Everything is perfect. So Kate Winslet shows up in LA, Cameron Diaz in the UK, and then they are just like living things. So obviously in Los Angeles, it's beautiful and the weather is lovely. And in the UK, Cameron Diaz is met with much snow and very cold temperatures and so she meets um, Jude Law in the UK, who is Kate Winslet's brother in the in the movie. And then 
Kate Winslet meets Jack Black, a.k.a. in this movie, the most perfect male romantic <laughs> lead. This is the hill I will die on. There is no romantic comedy that has a better hero than Jack Black in The Holiday. He is 100% perfection. Everything about him is perfect. And I will not hear anything to suggest that it's not. So I don't love the parts with Cameron Diaz and Jude Law. They're okay. not my, that's not my favorite part of the movie. They're fine. They have great chemistry together, um, all that kind of stuff. I would watch four hours of Kate Winslet and Jack Black falling in love slowly over the Christmas holidays. So, oh, you're totally right. Yeah. I I would fall for Jack Black in this movie. I love he's, he's great. He's, he's so charismatic. Like he, I find Jack Black charismatic just yeah. regardless. When he's on screen, he's either super funny or he's very earnest or a little bit mixture of both. Here, he's like very earnest and he is like funny, but not like you know scene stealing. I'm gonna eat this movie up, mm-hmm. funny, but in that like in a way that you could meet him on the street mm-hmm. and like that's a real person yeah. that Jack very Beck natural is very natural yes. dialogue again in this one very natural yeah. chemistry and and he's a mu- he's a music composer and she befriends his um not his her elderly neighbor who is going to get like a lifetime achievement award and i love everything about him too when they're having their lunch and they have this conversation cuz Kate Winslet can't figure out how her life is turning out the way that it is. And he says to her, you're behaving like the best friend, but you're the leading lady. And I'm just like, I love you so much, Arthur Abbott. (laughs) Everything about you is fantastic. That movie, to me, is a good watch and perfect every single time. Mm -hmm. There are some things that are a little bit dated because they use, like, James Franco and Lindsay Lohan Mm -hmm. in one of the trailers, and it's just very, like, 2000 and whatever. Um, So, like, that part notwithstanding. But, like, the cottage that Cameron Diaz is, like, living in over the Christmas, beautiful. Mm -hmm. The house in Los Angeles, amazing. (laughs) But then, like, you have literally the most perfect romantic hero of my life and it is jack black and no one i bet you no one was expecting jack black to be like the love interest like more important to like basically everyone than jude law Mm. like jude law is fine but he's not jack black you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean (laughs) and what i have an issue with in this movie with like i the same thing i totally agree i find that the way that uh, Jude Law and Cameron Diaz meet, mm-hmm. and they, you know, have a one night stand the yeah. first night they meet. Yeah, kind of takes away from the rest of their relationship, in a way in that I was much more invested in Jack Black. Yeah, and uh, Kate Winslet. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the nice thing about Kate Winslet and Jack Black's relationship is that they aren't even having a relationship at the beginning of this movie yeah. because he comes over with his current girlfriend. Yeah. And so until Jack Black finds out that his girlfriend has been cheating on him. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of just, cheating trigger warning. Yeah. yeah. They just they're having this nice kind of platonic relationship. Yeah. It's a friendly relationship. But they're experiencing a lot of like intimacy in the friendship. And yeah. I don't mean like romantic intimacy. Like they are really like talking about things. They're like, making he's a connection. Really, yeah. He's really showing up for her. And she is like really involving him with the neighbor Arthur and like all of that. And so it feels like they're more connected. So by the time that they're like excited about their possibility of their relationship, like when they're sitting in those seats at the auditorium 
and she says, oh, I'll be back in England by New Year. And he's like, oh, I've never been. Like, maybe I should go. And both of their, like, separate, silent, like, excitement of that New Year's, you're just like, oh, I love you so much. <laughs> like, this is perfection. And I feel like, I feel like you're right. I feel like they rushed the Jude Law, Cameron Diaz relationship timeline a little bit because I think they wanted to differentiate the relationships. Yeah. But then at the end, when they're still together, all of the things that sort of had broken them up like four days before are still there and we don't see any resolution there. So to me, like Jack Black and Kate Winslet absolutely got married. They had like four children. They are going to retire together and have grandchildren. But like the other one, I don't know. So maybe that's why I prefer the Jack mm -hmm. Black, Kate Winslet relationship because it feels more like happily ever after, which is what I want in a romantic comedy. What's your number two? Okay, so number two. <laughs> Again, if you say Christmas or Christmas movie, this movie pops into my mind right away. It's Ernest Saves Christmas from the late 80s. And I first saw this movie in the theaters with my mom. <laughs> and at the time, she was a teacher, but she had a friend who wanted her to be kind of like the mystery shopper at the theater. Oh, okay. Right? And so we went to see like three different movies, and then we got to have the popcorn paid for if, you know, and we had to do the oh did they ask if we wanted like a large pop and like we had yeah. to ask if where the bathrooms were and <laughs> and i remember this distinctly because at the end of it she asked to see like the manager and the lady behind the counter got like kind of really nervous <laughs> so i apologize to you 17 year old woman at the <laughs> self-center cinemas <laughs> for scaring you um but yeah it was all right after you know probably your first job but yeah it was the nice little thing um but this movie I just find so sweet and sincere in its kind of delivery of the Christmas message. Yeah. And Ernest is this advertising character that was created in the 80s that did lots of commercials, mostly local, but a couple of national campaigns. And he'd done a movie or two before this, most notably like Ernest Goes to Camp. Yeah. But he was really this character that kind of came out of the advertising industry played by jim barney who you might know as the slinky dog yeah. from toy story <laughs> and a couple of other Very things distinctive voice yes yeah and again it was this like cultural phenomenon of this earnest character in like middle school where you know all the boys and even all some of the girls you know yeah. would know his catchphrase and you were aware of him. It'd be kind of like today if the A&W manager guy got a Christmas movie or <laughs> yeah. Flo from Aggressive Insurance got her Christmas movie. Which is kind of insane when you think about it. Yes, yeah. right? Um, but it's... Getting back to the movie, I suppose, right? <laughs> so it starts out, Santa Claus is going to Florida to find his replacement. Because it turns out that, you know, kind of every hundred years he needs to pass the torch to keep Christmas alive. And he loves his job, but it's time for him to kind of pass it on so that, you know, the magic of Christmas continues. And he goes to Florida. Jim Varney, Ernest, is the cab driver who picks him up at the airport. <laughs> and so from that point on, they go on adventures. They go to the Children's Museum to meet the gentleman who Santa Claus wants to be his replacement. Um, they pick up a little teenager who's also a runaway. Santa loses his magical Christmas sack, oh. you know, and it's funny because it's so self-aware in terms of what it wants to be. 
and it knows it's a Christmas movie. It doesn't try to be anything else other than a Christmas movie. And there's even a point in it where one of the characters, they're talking about Santa, and everybody around him is thinking this guy's crazy because he's (laughs) calling himself Santa. And there's this one lady that says, well, he said he was Santa, but he seemed oddly sincere about it. (laughs) And the gentleman who plays Santa also plays it completely straight. You believe him. He's got, like, the nice white beard, and he's kind to all of the people. And I just, again, it's a quick 90-minute movie. It just breezes right by. But it's all those little things of so sincere in its delivery, right? And I've... (laughs) Little things make me laugh in that, you know, Santa sent his reindeer to the cargo hold at the airport because they have to leave by 7 o'clock that night. Otherwise, they're so his sleigh and reindeer are there and the reindeer on top of the ceiling because they can fly. It, it's just everything about it makes me happy. As, you know, I have to say, everything about it makes me happy. Which is Christmas. Yes. Well, we hope, which is Christmas. <laughs> I didn't, I don't think I ever, like, I think I was, like, a little bit too young for, like, the height of Ernest uh, popularity. I do remember renting the tapes in the mid nineties. Like I definitely remember Ernest goes to camp way more than like Ernest saves Christmas, but like he was sort of like a cartoon character in that he always wore the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was a denim on denim, like gray t-shirt, little hat. Yeah. Like I just, and the fact that he became the voice of the slinky dog for like a whole other generation of children and again like the slinky dog he's like a little bit sassy but like just all like he's like really caring about his friends and like it just seems like maybe jim barney was a very nice man Mm -hmm. (laughs) i hope he was and i want to hear about something else (laughs) um my second one is the nightmare before christmas which i know some people think is a halloween movie but it's not it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> like, I realize that it starts at Halloween, but you're only in Halloween for, like, maybe, I don't know. It's not a very long movie because it's stop-motion animation. Um, so maybe you're only in Halloween for, like, five minutes. But, so it's about Jack Skellington, who is the king of Halloween. And, you know, so it, it, it looks at it like Halloween is the same as Christmas. Like, Jack Skellington, the figure, is like Santa Claus. So he's, like, the leader of Halloween. He's what makes things spooky or or whatever. Um, and he is getting bored of his daily life, which, like, relatable. And then he finds the doors, and the one that sort of catches his eye is the Christmas tree one. And he opens it with his little skeleton fingers and his little bony hands, and it's a little musical and he finds christmas and he falls in love with it he's like this makes me feel really good for the first time in a long time and he feels fulfilled and he's like i'm going to do christmas my way um no not a good idea jack skeleton <laughs> nobody wants a halloween christmas everyone wants christmas because we already had halloween so he does fail a little bit um i remember when i was young like i did see this when it was new so it came out in like 93 so it's fairly young and like some of the images are like dark and like a little bit scary um for like smaller children like oogie boogie he's scary like his little song is scary um so but like obviously i've loved it for many years so as an adult i'm not scared by it never christmas anymore but it just it's so amazing to watch because every second of frame is basically like 15 
little shots so that all of the movements look like how the filmmaker wanted them to look. So it's a big misconception that Tim Burton is the director of the film. He is not. It's Harry Selnick. Um, Tim Burton was an executive producer. I think he helped maybe write the script. He wrote the poem that it was first based on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he was busy making, you know, Batman movies back in the day. And so he's not, he's not the director of the film. So I feel like uh, Henry Selnick doesn't really get the kudos Mm -hmm. that are due to him. And like he made and just made again another uh, stop motion animation. It's out on Netflix right now. Um, But I can't even imagine the patience and also the vision that you would have to have with your animators to do a stop motion and do it well. Yes. And like it's one of the first mm. like that like really did it because you have like the, some of the stop motion stuff of like the old we'll get to them yeah. the older <laughs> ones but like the scope of yeah. those sets and like I'm a person who watched the special features mm. and like it's amazing yes and I love the artistry of it and like all of the things that they have to do to get him to say like one word yeah. um, then to have them singing forget about it yeah it's definitely the dedication yeah. to spend three years doing this film yeah and now and it's like an hour and like 15 15, minutes maybe yeah. <laughs> like it is and short so, yeah it takes a week to make you know one minute of film yeah right and they have 400 different jack skellington heads yeah. you know to put on um i actually saw this in theaters as well <laughs> the first time it came out on Remembrance Day, because I remember we had the day off from school, and it had been a couple weeks since it had been out. So, yeah. like, 29 years almost to the day of this recording of this <laughs> podcast, I have seen this movie. I have to say, it's not my favorite. That's fair. And I can see why people like it, but like you were saying, I appreciate more the artistry yeah. behind it than it has an actual movie. I love the music. Yeah. I will say that. I bought the soundtrack beforehand. I had listened <laughs> to it. I would even listen to the soundtrack after I had seen it and didn't like the movie that much. Yeah. I find the, the part that gets me is kind of right in the middle, right? Where Jack Skellington, after they have the town meeting, and then the townspeople don't Christmas. quite understand yeah. what Jack is saying. Yeah. And then he turns around and says, oh, well, I'll give them what they want. And then all of a sudden... Christmas now becomes the scary Christmas yeah. Because thing. he doesn't know how to do it any differently. Yeah. And, and he doesn't so, know how to sell it to his constituents, if you yeah. will. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I just have a little bit of problem with his motivation, I yeah. guess, of how to, like, you know, why he does that part of it. And then, because to me, it almost like he kind of ruins Christmas. He ruins it because he doesn't know how to have Christmas. Yeah. He is trying to do it his way but his way is halloween yeah like and he just he doesn't understand that and he takes no input from anyone so i mean that's kind of a halloween king thing to do i feel like yeah. well and he does learn how to make halloween scarier right yeah. he says but i i do find that the in his songs i find you find his motivation you get his character yeah. comes out from the songs more than anything in the dialogue yeah of the movie um and to me it almost comes across more as like almost this concept album concept <laughs> kind of thing well and i think the songs were written and recorded first so danny mm. alfman who is a long time like composing partner with a lot of tim burton movies he's the singing voice of jack skellington and 
Um, I watched an interview just recently, actually. Chris Sarandon, who voices Jack Skellington, was on a podcast called um, Inside You, maybe, with Michael oh, Rosenbaum. Oh, Michael Rosenbaum, yes. Um, and he was asked about Nightmare Before Christmas because it's, you know, around Christmas time, and a lot of people know his voice from that. And he said basically he got the job because the songs were already recorded and his speaking voice sounded similar enough to let Danny Elfman's songs pass without it being like mm -hmm. wildly different kind of voice. So I do think that the song parts were definitely done first, probably again, thinking of a concept album yep. in mind. And then they're like, well, how do we string the songs together? Yep. Like, how do we get from song to song? Mm -hmm. Instead of like, here's the movie, we'll have a song here, we'll have a song yep. here, we'll have a song here. And then like writing the songs to the movie, I think it was reversed. And I don't know that to be 100% sure, mm -hmm. But it just, it feels like that. Because, yeah. like, the songs are very good. Yes. Like, way better than any of the dialogue. Like, so, like so good. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels like they were definitely really, really workshopped. Mm. I do like that Santa Claus saves Christmas at the end. He does. Right? Yeah, so Christmas <laughs> does happen. So at double Christmas speed. movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so before we get to our number ones, we're going to do a couple of honorable mentions for you. Jason, what's the first one that comes to mind, honorable mention -wise? First one that comes to mind is The Family Man. Oh, no. No, you don't like this one? <laughs> is that the one with Nicolas Cage? It is the one with Nicolas Cage. I hate the ending of that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, go ahead. Okay. Like. <laughs> uh, so it's with Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone. Basically what happens is he's a high executive Wall Street muckety-muck, lives yeah. in a penthouse in New York. Falls asleep on Christmas Eve, wakes up. He is now magically transported to New Jersey with the girlfriend he had left some time ago. To become a bigwig. Yeah, to become yeah. a bigwig. And she had asked him to stay instead of flying on the plane off to London, Paris. Yeah. And it shows, it goes through your life, his life, that he didn't choose. Yeah. Right? And I like it. I really like okay. the movie until you get to the end. It yeah. breaks my heart that by the time he like falls in love with his family, it all gets taken mm -hmm. away. But it's just a <laughs> glimpse, right? It's just I, that's kind of what I like about it, though. Too is that it's just I would have this... liked him to like have a choice at the end. Oh, okay, I see. Like if we're gonna do a magical time traveling road not traveled kind of stuff. Let him have a choice at the end. Okay, I can see it. Make I it more was magical. Like, I was heartbroken when he, because then he goes to seek out Taya Leone's character mm -hmm. at the end, or like something in an in an airport somewhere. She's going to Paris because right. she has a job in Paris now, yeah. and so it's now reversed, and that he has to run to the airport and yeah. kind of save this relationship. I don't know. It just made me feel really sad. Okay. I <laughs> I walked away from that one feeling really sad, and the podcast knows that I'm in love with Nicolas Cage. Nicholas Cage can do no wrong, and I feel like that's not his fault. I understand Nicholas Cage that you did not write the movie, but also, I just I find that ending to be heartbreaking, mm. in a different kind of way, and I don't know why. Okay. I've only watched it twice. I watched it once because I was like Nicholas Cage, and then I watched it again to be like, were you really that affected by it? And then I watched it. I was like, yes, you were. Don't watch it again. <laughs> but that seems to me that makes it a good movie because no, it's a good you, movie, and you it feel just, something, and you care about them. It hurts me though. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts me um my first honorable mention is going to be oh sound of music sound of music sound of music yeah it is okay 
Yeah, it is. It's Sound of Music. And I know that you're probably all thinking there, like, Sound of Music is not a Christmas movie. Claire, get off. Get off your horse that you might have ridden in on. But this is the thing. You're talking about memories of, like, how they become, like, a Christmas movie. So, to me, there is nothing more Christmas, inexplicably, than Sound of Music because it played on TV, like, a million times because it's, like, so long. So, they'd have it on, like, Christmas Eve and it would be, like, five hours or something on TV because, like, it's so long and you have the intermission and it's, like, it's so long. And um, my mom has been in love with Sound of Music since forever. Um, We, my mom's family is from Germany. Her parents are from Germany. And so they always really liked Sound of Music, even though it has a lot of, you know, Nazi stuff Mm -hmm. over in it, um, that they lived through. But they always really loved it. And we want, like, I've probably seen Sound of Music 200 times. times. Like, if not, if not. And it's always in the winter. I have never watched it in the summertime. Not once. Um, sometimes I, as a little treat to myself, I only watch until the intermission. Ooh. I don't even watch the back yeah. end with the <laughs> children going through the mountains. Um, but then also it just means something really personal to like me and my family. When my grandparents were having their 50th anniversary, um, they wanted like a little video to play at the thing. So my family and I, we all dressed up in like Dirndl Lederhosen type of things. And we did like the so long farewell for the end of like the little like photo represent uh, retrospective, and like all of us knew all of the words. We nobody had to study. Like we were all just like super in on Sound of Music. So to me, Sound of Music is a Christmas movie because I've only ever watched it at Christmas, and it was on my proper top five list. And I thought the better of it because I thought maybe I can't argue for top five. Mm-hmm. But it is absolutely an honorable mention. Right. It's definitely a holiday movie, <laughs> right? But like you said, there's no mention of Christmas in no, it anywhere. No, not a single. I don't even. I'm not even sure that there's even a winter. Well, there. You know, there's all of my favorite things, like you know, snow. <laughs> oh, fall, that's there, true. There is that yeah. one line mentioned. <laughs> so Christmas, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, there's brown paper, paper packages. Yeah. yeah, brown paper packages. Exactly. But yeah. that could be mail. Like it doesn't necessarily be a present. But yes, it could. You could argue that it's a Christmas present that they're getting. Right? <laughs> Um, oh, I love Sound of Music. Julie Andrews. Yeah. Christopher Plummer. Also, Christopher mm-hmm. Plummer in that cannot be more attractive. Um, the end. Um, but again, this is from a time when if you wanted to see this movie, we didn't have a VCR. Mm-hmm. So at Christmas time was the only yeah. time you could watch it. And then you'd have to set aside five hours. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I do remember, I have watched it in the summer. <laughs> I will say that. I remember, here's my story with this. Like, we had the double LP record oh, soundtrack same, yeah. that you opened up and it came with like the little 32 page booklet inside and you know with yep. all of the it's involved yes the pictures <laughs> of them running through the streets of salzburg and standing at the fountain and all of that and i played it constantly yeah i used to make a big huge brown paper bag grocery bag size thing of popcorn when it was coming on <laughs> well you needed to yes you basically have to make camp to watch that movie i will also tell you this my favorite movie theater going experience i've ever had was in the late 90s they had the sing-along sound of music yeah that'd be a fun time yeah oh my god it was the best thing ever (laughs) and again this is kind of like pre-internet days so you know you didn't have like online billboards you could go to and talk about your sound of music fandom with yeah (laughs) 
You had to go out in person. Yes. <laughs> and here's the thing. There was a costume contest. So we had the cosplay. There is a person dressed up as Before a there was even cosplay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They had a person dressed up as a ray of sunshine. He was all in oh yellow and orange with a kind of like orange yellow tinsel Amazing. as a hair wig. Yeah. Uh, the woman who won was the bowing lady from the singing competition. She just came up on stage and started bowing. So everybody <laughs> just cracked up. Yeah. There was a gentleman that comes out at the start. He introduces the film. He's dressed up in like the full dress from the Austrian. Yeah. And he says to you, okay, so everybody, you know, Rolf is a mean boy. So when you see him, you boo him as loud as you can. <laughs> and like, oh, the first, oh, okay, so we're going to start off and the movie's going to come and so you're going to fly over the hills and then off in the distance you'll see, you know, Maria come. The first person to see Maria, stand up and shout and say, there she is. And so sure enough, this girl from three rows behind stands up, there she is. <laughs> and so it was the greatest experience, you know, to, again, to have this memory yeah. of this film that you love and to share it with other people yeah. in a theater and you sing along and it was great. It was absolutely the most lovely evening lovely evening see it's a Christmas movie because it gives you good feelings yes the end you can write to us if you disagree (laughs) I'll disregard (laughs) what's your other honorable mention before we get to top ones alright so I'm going to say Wacko's Wish oh good choice yes Animaniacs yes yes Yeah. and so this is kind of their again it's an honorable mention because it's not specifically Christmas but it is like kind of wintry it does play at Christmas time and so what happens in this is there's three main characters yakko wacko and dot they're as claire mentioned the animaniacs <laughs> they're kind of these weird dog, dog rabbit things? hybrid yeah. <laughs> things um but what happens is is they take these traditional tropes of christmas movies and kind of turn them on their head and animaniacs kind of does that with everything they're very irreverent um but this has great songs in it again it's quick like 75 minute yeah. tv movie type thing but the main focus of it is that Dot is sick and she needs an operation <laughs> to like save her life. And but this town that they're living in in this kind of again nondescript European yeah. country has been taxed to the extreme and there's no money left. Wacko leaves for a year to go find his fortune and he comes back a year later with like a half penny. Dot is still alive <laughs> after this year that he's been gone, but whatever. <laughs> and so the tax man noticed that he comes back with a half penny and it gets taken away. So again, the village is penniless and nobody can save Dot. <laughs> so Wacko makes this wish on the wishing star. And what happens is the wishing star falls to the ground. And so he doesn't get his wish because he made the wish on the star. Yeah. You have to go make your wish in person. <laughs> so you have to go and touch the star. And so everybody in town finds out that there's the star that has crashed just beyond the mountains. And then there's this big race to get to the star. And what happens is, again, spoilers for, you know, a movie that's somewhat 15, 20 years old. (laughs) Wacko makes it to the star. And what he wishes for is not just, you know, peace and prosperity for everybody or whatever. He wishes for two half pennies. So he has (laughs) one half penny to pay for Dot's operation. And the other half penny he gets to spend in the village. And the half penny goes around and, you know, everybody in the village gets some benefit from the half penny (laughs) and so now the village is all flourishing again and it's wonderful and it's you know all bright and happy and whatnot and christmasy yes right (laughs) and so but it's again it takes these tropes of like oh um what family is because like you know the warner brothers and sister they care about each other 
you know, and the, the family unit is important, that community is important. And so all those kind of like Christmas things that are what you would consider with a Christmas movie yeah. are in this. It's a, yeah, that's a good one. I watched it many years ago. But again, like, I feel like some of that stuff gets lost a little bit because, like, I'm a person that doesn't have cable anymore. Mm. So, like, all of those things that you would previously watch on TV because they were on, like, they don't exist to me anymore in yeah. the same way. Which is, like, kind of, I don't know. It's It feels weird. It feels, like, old school somehow. <laughs> I don't know. It feels, like, a little bit ancient. Um which, speaking of ancient, my last honorable mention is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh. I love the one from the 1960s. Um, it's weird. It has the, uh, you know, the elf that wants to be a dentist. You have the island of misfit toys. And you have kind of a scary, like, monster, snow, the abominable snowman guy. Um, it's very strange. But I, I don't know. There's something about those movies from the 60s mm-hmm. like that i just i re- like frosty the snowman the same um burl ives i think yes is the, the narrator. snowman yeah yeah the snowman and i just i really like it and i think when you see when i see rudolph to me it's that rudolph yes there is no other rudolph it's that little like animatronic i'm not even sure what he's made out of um Speaking of stop motion animation, like very like felt and some yeah. you know, foam and this and that. But it's just it's so good. It's very of its time. Like the voices all sound like you are in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> like it's just very I don't know, the tone and cadence is just very that way. Um and nobody else in my house I don't think ever liked it and or wanted to watch it. I think this is one that I watched mostly by myself, unless they happen to be doing something else in the room. Not a not a fans in in the Brown household. Um, but I like it, and I think that it deserves a place as an honorable mention. Yeah, definitely. Jason, what's your number one? Oh, it's it's a wonderful life all the way. It's a wonderful life. I'm very happy life. for you. One of my least favorite movies of all time. <laughs> you mentioned this when we were putting the list together. Yeah. I don't see why. It's one of my least favorites. I don't know. I like yeah. Jimmy Stewart sometimes. Um, I don't like the trope of this movie, okay. and I don't think – I think that – Again, I saw movies that were like ripped off from It's a Wonderful Life of like, of like oh, what if you never existed yeah. kind of story. Well, Family Man that I mentioned is yeah. the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, I think I saw more of those stories first that when I saw this one, like I find the child's voice kind of annoying too. The angel gets his wings, like that whole thing. Mm. I find the voice annoying, but I'm happy that you're happy. So sell it to our audience. Okay. <laughs> um, so... This is such a perfect movie. This is such a perfect movie. It's such a perfect holiday movie. It's such a perfect movie. <laughs> it's a weird movie. Again, it's not very necessarily Christmassy. Yeah. It takes place on Christmas. But again, it's one of these things where if you actually sit down and look at it, it's kind of really dark. Very dark. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so you hear about this movie. Oh, it's this classic movie. It's, it's a wonderful life. And it's okay. called It's a Wonderful yes. Life. <laughs> And so, in its defense, it does tell you right off the bat what the movie is about, that it's a wonderful life. (laughs) But then spends like two hours or so going through this man's life with all of these depressing things in it. Yeah. But then at the end, he sees what his life is not, would have been like if he had never been born. Yeah. And at the end, all the townspeople come to his house, and it's a big happy family, and it's a big party, and everybody sings old Lang Syne, and everything's great. And it's a wonderful life, right? And it's a wonderful life. Yeah, so, you know. That was very Jerry Seinfeld. I appreciated it. (laughs) It's 
you know, it's it tells you what it is, right? It's a classic. There's a reason yeah. that people are watching it and have still watched it. Yeah. And I love that for you. I love that for them. But, like, I don't know. It's a Wonderful Life was never one that I was, like, super about. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, for me, I preferred, like, the holiday movies, like, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis mm-hmm. or something like that with, like, a little bit of pizzazz, a little song, a little yeah. whatever. And It's a Wonderful Life is so dark. It's so dark. And, like, I just, looking at our lists, both you and I, I think, need to have some, like, pure <laughs> enjoyment at Christmas once in a while. Um, but I just, I find it to be really dark. But, like, iconic. Yeah. Okay, I, I will grant you this. The first time I watched it, like I was saying before, you start watching this movie and you think it's a Christmas classic and you're expecting, oh, it's going to be happy, it's going to be yeah. bright, it's going to have these songs. And, if like, you went into it blind without yeah. reading what it was about, you're like, it's a Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie yeah. about wonderful It's lives. Jimmy Stewart. Oh, yeah. he's every man. He's that, right? And so he goes through his life and that, you know, he, oh, I can't, so there's, I, I, don't, I can't talk about it because <laughs> I love it so much. So he sacrifices everything for his family and for yeah. his town, basically. So he, you see him go through his life not chasing what his dreams are which is to yeah. go out into the world and travel the world and make big buildings and be an architect and kind of he's very ha- selfless yes yeah have this big impact on the world right yeah. that is his main motivation that is what he's always strived for but through a series of circumstances he gets stuck in this little tiny town that he grew up in now what i love about the movie is that it really is a character study in how you think you're a good man, you're a good person, and you're making good decisions throughout your life. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you try and question yourself as to, okay, what is the purpose of my life? I've done all these things, and it feels like nothing is working out. and Nothing's I've come nothing of right. it. Yes. Yeah. And so this trope, you said, of this angel coming down. Yeah. And here's, But here's what I love about it, too, is that the things that happen early in his life come back at the end. So, like, you see he's selfless throughout his yeah. entire life. And how does Clarence, who's the angel that comes down, saves him? Again, dark part of the movie. <laughs> Jimmy's about to jump in the river, commit yeah. suicide, because he can't think of anything else way out. Clarence jumps in the river because he knows Jimmy Stewart is going to jump in after him and save him. And so even at his lowest point in his life, George Bailey, Jimmy Stewart selflessly jumps in to save somebody else and i love this for you yeah right (laughs) and so it shows that there's all these right even in your darkest time humanity can exist yeah and so then clarence and him are talking in like the little shed where they're warming up and it comes to this idea that jimmy stewart Oh, it would have been better if I had never been born at all because all the people that I have interacted with have been better off. Yeah. Right? I added nothing to the story, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so Clarence says, what a great idea. And he talks to his superiors very quickly. (laughs) And all of a sudden, magically, the wind blows, the door comes open, snow stops. George Bailey has never been born. Yeah. And so then we spend the next 20, 30 minutes of the film going through George's life has... It had never been born, but the the reason it makes an impact is because we spent all this time with him before, seeing how when he was a boy, he saved the pharmacist from, you know, 
putting the wrong medicine into the pills after he found out that, you know, his boy had died in the army. Yeah. And, you know, he had saved his brother from, you know, falling into the ice when they were sledding. And his brother went on to, you know, save people in the war as a pilot. Yeah. And you have such an impact in these circles that you don't recognize. Yeah. And the, you find out that, you know, kind of your purpose in life is maybe not to... Be like, the big story. Yeah. Yeah. But that the impact you leave with others is how you are going to kind of be remembered. And you do have an impact on your life. And that is where your purpose comes from. And that you make your own purpose. And that you have all of these things that... I can tell you right now, if it had not been for any book book club yeah. that you started, I would not be sitting here today. I, At the library. Yeah. I, I, I can honestly say that. So your decision to make any book book club because... I was like stuck at home. I was out of my job. I was depressed. I didn't know what I was going to do. And like the one thing I said, okay, you know what? I love books. I've never been to a book club before, but I don't want to go to a stodgy book club where you have to read the same (laughs) book every time. I see this thing that's any book book club. You can go and talk about any book you want. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. You know, it gets me out of the house. I got to the library, met a wonderful bunch of people. And any book book club is great. So everybody come and join. Yep. Second Thursday of every month. Plug. (laughs) <laughs> you know, but again, the connections I've made with the people in any book book club, you've given me a recommendation. I hear somebody else talks about it. I then can take that and the people I meet here at the library, they say, oh, well, I'm looking for a romance book. Yeah. Oh, here's the book. Right. So your decision that you have to make that book club has affected me in profound ways. Oh. And it has spread out to other people. And so. Even that impact that you have had on me makes me think of this movie. It makes me think of how wonderful it is to to be alive. Well, now I take back. It's not my least favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Because, like, we look at our daily lives as not having impact or legacy or anything, right? You're just, like, going through your emotions. Your day is the day. It's just Tuesday, whatever. And, yeah, you don't realize that those, like, little decisions or, like, the little interactions that you have with people or, or normal things that you just do every day could actually impact people or, yeah, so, like, big and small. I'll give you that. That's a very nice sentiment and very Christmassy. And even though his story is dark, um, I will give you that. Perhaps I should watch it with fresh eyes. No. So it's, it's probably been 15 years no. since I've seen it. So... I will make a pledge to you to watch it yeah, because yeah. that was a very nice story and now I feel bad. Okay. <laughs> All right, Claire, what's your number one? What's my number one? Well, obviously it's The Muppets Christmas Carol. Obviously. How could it not be? How could we not have discussed it at this yes. point if it wasn't number one? Um, Muppets Christmas Carol. First of all, I have read the book Christmas Carol a lot. I've probably read it 10 or 15 times. Muppet Christmas Carol is so, um, like, dedicated to the source material that it literally like pulls like lines right out of the novel and like a lot of christmas carol because christmas carol is so again overdone and redone and overdone and redone um i think people try to like find a new way of doing it or like a different way to talk or a different Mm -hmm. kind of ghosts or whatever it is right and Muppet Christmas Carol is very like, nope, this is the source material. We're going to lift lines right from the book, and it's going to be exactly as we want it. And I love it. The songs are great. Oh, wonderful songs. Like, absolutely fantastic songs. 
Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit, obviously. Michael Caine is Ebenezer Scrooge, and he plays it like he's not interacting with Muppets, which, like, there's not even a wink. He never winks to the audience to be like, I know they're Muppets. He's literally like, nope, we're all thespians here, and it's fantastic. It's, to me, like, the Muppets in general I really like. I think some newer Muppet stuff is a little bit too winky to the Mm -hmm. audience, but... Christmas Carol to me was like the perfect storm of everything. It's directed by Brian Henson, yep. who is uh, Jim Henson's son. Yeah, obviously related um, to the creator of all Muppet all Muppetry, um, and it's everyone knows that Christmas Carol mm-hmm. story, and it just is so good. It's so heartfelt. The songs are excellent. They use. Um, obviously the Muppets that we are familiar with to play certain roles, but then they like make new Muppets to play different roles. Um, the only, the only little qualm that I have with it is the ghost of Christmas past. I hate that one. Okay. I just, I, why does it look like a little China, like a China face doll? You know, like those like little porcelain dolls. Like, I don't know. I don't I don't like it. I think that that could have been anything else because everyone else is so good. The Ghost of Christmas Present. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Every like his song is perfect, mm-hmm. but like just like the warmth of that performer, yeah. just just so perfect. And I love that movie. Mm-hmm. To me, there except for The Ghost of Christmas Past, which thankfully you don't have to see that much. Um, uh, it's perfection. Mm-hmm. It's, it's everything about it. I love it. So, yeah, it was the first movie they made after Jim Henson died. Yeah. And, yes, it is very, very adherent to the source material. They even yeah. have Charles Dickens show up I and know. say lines, you know. Gonzo the Great plays I Charles Dickens. I love that he's like, I'm Charles Dickens. Yeah. And Rizzo the Rat is like, okay, <laughs> whatever, Mr. Dickens. <laughs> Again, I saw this movie first weekend it came out in theaters. I can remember it exactly. And... What I love, I, I, okay, I adore the Muppets. If I could have one job in the world, it would be to be a Muppet performer. Yeah. Right? Like, I've always, uh, I've grown up with, I watch Sesame Street religiously. Yeah. I would watch it twice a day, sometimes <laughs> three times a day, because it was on twice before school and one after school. <laughs> Sesame Street, the Muppets taught me to read. Yeah. Right? And I love the Muppet movie. I had the Muppet movie soundtrack on Oh, LP. the Muppet movie. You know, Perfect and now. again, so speaking yeah. of the music, Paul Williams, who did the Rainbow yeah. Connection and the movie, the music for the original Muppet yeah. movie, also does the music for uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. And again, it's love. He understands what the Muppets are. Yeah. Right. He knows their again their cadences and the way they interact, and there's that certain irreverence that yeah. the Muppets have always had. And like you said, this this wink to the audience type of thing, this breaking the fourth yeah. wall. It's so ingrained, I think, in kind of what the Muppets aesthetic but is. But it's never like a mocking wink. No. It's always like, we're doing this together. Yeah. Like, and that's exactly yeah. it, right? They're inviting you in. And I think a lot of that does come from things like Sesame Street, yeah. where it's like, it's we're the interacting yeah. with you. Yeah. yeah. And But yeah, again, absolutely lovely in that regard. I wish that they had kept one of the songs in. I hate that song. I'm glad that it's not. You don't like the song? In. No. Okay. You're saying, you're talking about her song. Of course, I am talking yeah. about her song. No. So my VHS copy yeah. did not have that, and I remember watching it. I think for the first time, maybe on Disney Plus, and it had it, and I was like, "What is happening here? This does not exist. This is completely not true." I think that the feeling of that song, 
make sense in the moment. But I think for like a quote unquote kids movie, mm. it brings it way too down. It's okay. too slow. And I want the peppiness of the pace. And since I already don't like the ghost of Christmas Past, uh, I don't I don't love her song. And I think that that's the only time that I felt, like, a little bit awkward about, like, Michael Caine's performance as well. Like, when he's, like, singing with her sort of at the end of her song. And, like, the song is fine on its own. But to me, that is not, that is not the song from the movie. Like, it just, I probably watched it, like, 45 times before mm -hmm. I even heard that song. So it just seemed like an interloper to me. Complete interloper. Okay, so now here, here <laughs> we go again. I had the soundtrack to this movie before I saw it. So I'm listening so you're like, to the where's soundtrack. the song? Yeah. That is exactly it. That's exactly the feeling yeah. I had. Because there's that song, and there's also the song that Bunsen Honeydew sings and Beaker. Yeah. And that's on the soundtrack, but it's not in the movie. <laughs> so I'm sitting there watching the movie, and I'm, oh, okay, here's Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker, and they're about to sing the song when they go in to ask Scrooge for some yeah. charity money, and there's no song. And so I'm like, I'm sure, did I imagine this song? <laughs> Where's this song? Where else could this song possibly be? Maybe it's at the end, yeah. right? And then we watch the movie and we get to the ghost of Christmas past. And, oh, and then, so the song is called When Love Is Gone. Yeah. And it's about how Scrooge, you know, has again made the choice to, like, not get married. And they're going their separate ways. And, again, it's the one decision in his life that has changed everything. Yeah. I just find that that moment in that song gives Scrooge his humanity where you feel That's him. true. I will give you that because everything else is basically a Muppet interaction mm -hmm. in some way. So I will give you that. But I don't know. I couldn't, like, I watched it literally, like, a hundred times. And when that song came on, I was like, so my copy is broken, obviously. <laughs> like, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they've uploaded. Mm -hmm. Everything is wrong. And, yeah, so to me, I was like, you're an interloper. And I, I will definitely <laughs> give you that, because I can definitely see how if you watch the movie 45 times, and then somebody else comes in, and you're like, what is this doing here? Yeah. Yeah, so and then you have that whole it. moment of like, did I misremember this entire movie? <laughs> like, is it one of those things? Yeah. So oh, yeah, but it's it's funny. It it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's just a perfect movie. Perfect. So good. So before we leave you today, we're also because real stories to us is not just about movies. I mean, for me, it's probably primarily about movies right now, but we never know what's going to happen in the future. But we do have a couple of thoughts on Christmas TV. And I think the one that we need to focus on, in my opinion, is Doctor Who's The Runaway Bride. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Jason has a top five little list. Do you want to just like quickly just throw out your top five sure. so that we can get into the Doctor Who one? Okay. Uh, so number five, I would say, is Lost, which is a TV series from the yeah. mid-aughts. Um, and the episode is called The Constant. Um, it's a wonderful little show because, you know, again, it's a romance. And then he's, <laughs> the, he's on an island and he's been away for three years and he has to make contact with his, you know, former fiancé, you know, girlfriend. And it happens on Christmas Day. It's a lovely, yeah. lovely little hour of television. Uh, then Dinosaurs is my number three, which is, again, a Jim Henson, you know, production. Yeah. Executed by Brian Henson animatronic dinosaurs one's called refrigerator day which is their version of christmas day so they celebrate <laughs> having a refrigerator instead of a christmas tree yeah again lovely irreverent everything else you'd want to wish merry christmas mr bean which is a bbc or sorry itv i believe you know british television sitcom from way back when but i watch it every year <laughs> it's great again absolutely love you watch it if you can 
But again, my number one would be A Muppet Family Christmas. Which is so good. Yeah. Great songs in that one, too. Yeah. And again, an episode of TV that TV was on, had no idea it was going to come on Sunday yeah. night, happened to be on CBC. So and good. Like, and very first like, Christmas. Yep, loved it. I've loved it ever since. All four kind of like different generations of Muppets are in there. You have the Fraggle Muppets. You have the Sesame Street Muppets. You've got the regular Muppets. Yeah. Right? They're all in there. Just a lovely hour of Christmas. Uh, my number four pick, which I kind of skipped over, was the Doctor Who Christmas special called The Runaway Bride. First of all, I love that Doctor Who always has, like, Christmas specials or, like, often has Christmas specials. And The Runaway Bride came at a time. So, for me, I'm not, like, a huge, like, Doctor Who buff. So, I started watching Doctor Who with, like, the new the new Doctor Who's with Christopher Eccleston. So, when you have um, Billy Piper leave at the end, like, Rose leave at the end of series two as they say in in britain um and he has no companion you're like what's gonna happen and so then there's this episode called when you talk about like fate or like things coming about differently and so you have donna noble introduced in runaway bride who she will become his companion starting in series four best companion ever she is very good companion um and there. Like, you know that when the producers were seeing their chemistry, that they were like, oh, we're going to be doing something with this. (laughs) Like, she is hilarious. Catherine Tate is, like, fantastic. And I love the, like, absolute platonic nature of the friendship and the very close friendship and between Donna Noble and the Doctor, who is at that time number 10, which is David Tennant, which, in my opinion, the best Doctor. He's, He's the one for me. And that show is so good because he's dealing with the grief of having just lost rose tyler and uh donna noble is the runaway bride (laughs) and it's just it's sort of a zany caper but it also really touches on that the doctor is going through this grief that he is by himself that like she says something at the end or near the end about how he probably shouldn't be traveling alone and you just I don't know. To me, David Tennant's performance as the, as the Doctor in so many... We might have to do like a Doctor Who mm. real stories. But in so many different spots, he's just so like human. And he's so... like The Doctor as a character is very grounded in grief because mm. of what happened to his planet, what happened to his family, and all of that kind of stuff. So you have all of the sci-fi stuff. But then you have the real human emotion and connection that he's clearly seeking mm. by having all of these companions who eventually through his fault, through their fault, through no fault, stop traveling with him and he has to find a new connection. Mm. And The Runaway Bride is a perfect, like, insular episode of television. I love that you describe their relationship as platonic because yeah. that's exactly the word that came to mind when I put it on. There. Yeah. And I love the idea that even when she does become an official companion, that same... The chemistry is the same. Yeah. It's like a perfect, like... They have great banter. They have great chemistry. But you're never like, I I want these two to be in love. You're like, no, they're perfect. They're like a sibling relationship of like completely different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And she is one of the only companions, in my opinion, that really just like tells him 100% what it is. Like she is not like, I'm scared you're going to kick me out. She's like, no, I'm just coming with you anyways. Um, Oh, you're mad at me? 
I don't care. I'm just coming with you anyways. Like, she's just like, it doesn't matter. And to me, that that's really like a platonic, like sibling, like really close relationship where it's just like, it doesn't matter. I don't care that you're mad. <laughs> like, and that really comes out in The Runaway Bride, yeah. too, when she challenges him and she says he's an alien and she's like, oh, you're a little green man, are yeah. you? And this and that. And yeah, she's immediately never really scared of him. Yeah. She's just like, okay, well, yeah, you think you're pretty great, don't you? <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll see. And I just, that's such an excellent, excellent mm. episode of television. Yeah. Um, one of my ones that I remember the most is Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh, yeah. Amends in season three. And, like, Buffy, for a show, like, about vampires and whatever, I think that's their only Christmas show. So it's, like, it's very interesting, the choices that that show made. Um, But I just, I I used to love that when you'd, like, see, oh, like, next time on, and it's, like, a Christmas show. Whatever show you were watching, even if it was, like, a sitcom or whatever, you're like, ah, it's that Christmas one. Because, like... It's fun. Uh, One of my honorable mentions. Uh Breaking the rules. Uh I knew it had to come sometime or sooner or later. The WKRP in Cincinnati episode called Bah Humbug, which again is a Christmas Carol ripoff. But again, like when I was a kid, we didn't have a VCR. You would come home after school and like Three's Company and WKRP would be on. And so you'd sit there and watch them. So you would see the Christmas episode every couple of months. Yeah. And the Bah Humbug one there. I remember so well because, and I enjoy it because they take the Christmas Carol and they put it in a modern setting with these characters that you know. That you know already, yeah. And so the boss of the station plays the Scrooge character because he's not giving out Christmas bonuses this year. And then the, you know, the spirits of Christmas are all (laughs) staff members and they come. And you get, again, more of a connection between how yeah. it's meaningful because you have a relationship with those characters. That and I think a lot of shows have done sort of like a Christmas Carol episode at some point. Um, and they're good. I I don't care who, which show it is. I'll watch it. Whatever. I'm, I'm down for it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them also do an It's a Wonderful Life uh, kind of vibe sometimes, mm-hmm. too. Like, oh, if I had never done this, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd never started this job. I wish I'd never whatever, whatever. But I do like that these movies that we talked about, and I'm, so many others, I'm sure that our listeners have lots of others that they're like, how could you not have talked about blank? Um, they're so, Christmas movies are so personal. They're so ingrained, I think, in the season mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, the snow's down. Yeah. It's Christmas time. <clears throat> what am I watching? What am I doing? And it's just, it's a really fun part of the season for me and i hope that other people have a similar uh feeling about that like some of the things that you watch like people love the hallmark christmas movies or this or that whatever and they're like well i don't really watch anything real i don't really whatever we're not doing guilty pleasures here if something makes you happy at christmas time or any other time watch it Mm. argue that it's a christmas movie when it's the sound of music (laughs) live your best life (laughs) that's all i can say well, Jason, thanks for joining today. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was a wonderful conversation about Christmas movies. If any of our listeners have favorite Christmas movies that they are absolutely horrified that we did not include in this list, um, you can let us know by coming to visit us in the library. Jason and I work at all the branches, so you can find us at different places. You can find us online. You can find us on our website. You can send in your queries to wherever you would like, and we'd love to hear from you. So, Jason, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas.